When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate DAP for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Hey, Dan here. Before we get started with today's show, I just want to mention our sponsor, Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, now on with the show. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 177, and this will be brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Hi, I'm Dan Hilton, as always, and who do you think is on the other end of this line? It's none other than Frances Tomas. Frances, how are you doing today? Hola, Gules. Yeah, good, good. Um, I just finished watching the game, because um, everything in the Middle East is, is lower, as our listeners know. And um, yeah, I'm pre- pretty optimistic about what we watched, and um, basically looking forward to the future. Yeah, Francis, I would agree with that. I, I was pretty optimistic as well. I said it on the Quick Take Match Review that a 5 nothing against Leganes midweek and then the 2-1 over Levante. I know it was 2-1, but this was certainly one that felt like it could have been 3-4-0 Barca. And I know the result was in question very late in the match, but certainly I agree with you that it just, it, it, there was a feeling to it. And again, you see, you know, when you see it, that there was a feeling that Barca were the superior team and that they had many more shots on goal. It was 23 to 10 in terms of total shots. And there was purpose to their attack. There was purpose to their defense. And yes, surely they led in a late one, but uh, I don't think the, the result was ever in question. And I think that was the feeling that you had in that match. So before we do talk about things on the field and uh, you know as a joke as I'll, I'll keep saying is the few players the few first team players that exist as even in yesterday's match day squad there was just 14 first team players available for that match which is pretty incredible so after the transfer window Frances I gave my not really opinion but I just broke some of those things down the players out the players in on the YouTube video last week but I do want to know your thoughts and Ramon Ask the same question. What are your thoughts on the signings we did make before the window closed, as well as the players who, who left? And just to recap for everybody real quick, just to, to give it out, Carlos Alenia goes out on loan to Real Betis. 
Jean-Claire Tadebo to Schalke. Carlos Perez uh, is sold. Well, it's really a loan, but then it's an obli- uh, obligatory purchase at the end of the, the uh, in the summer. So Carlos Perez, for all intents and purposes, is gone to Roma. Musa Wage is out on loan with Patrick Vieira in Nice in France. Albert Ruiz, it's the same thing where he's going to eventually be bought by Braga and there's somebody else coming the other way. Meanwhile, Alejandro Marquez actually went for 8.2 million euros to Juventus in Italy. So that's another big move for Juvenil A slash Barcelona B player. And then coming into the club, this is all Barcelona B players. Uh, Mateus Pereira comes in on loan the other way. Marquez, however, sold to Juventus. And Pereira will be coming on loan until the summertime. Ray Minaj came from Albacete in the second division of Spain. He comes as the center forward to replace 22-year-old Albanian to replace Aura Ruiz. And then Mateus Fernandez, a Brazilian defensive midfielder with Palmeiras, will be coming in July. And the big get for 31 million euros, uh, basically coming the other way of Aura Ruiz from Braga, is Francisco Trincao. And he will be coming in the summertime, a left-footed right winger. Portuguese winger who I believe just turned 20. So that's all the news to it. Frances, a lot of names I know that you don't really give too much of a darn about because we're not even talking about first team players at all. So does that bother you? You know me too well. I know, I know. That's what I'm saying. We've done this show for too long. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. So I know you don't care about the names and the specifics or anything. Really, the future, Trincao is the big name to come in the summertime. But even then, we don't have to worry or think about him until the summer. This is unlike the Frankie de Young thing because he's going to be a young player that's going to be slowly brought along, I would assume, and not necessarily needed to at the age of 20 to be an important he might even be on loan next year even we're not sure about his future so other than that it was just basically a a lot of players who you always say on the fringe and who are on the fringe again Musawage just hanging out in Barcelona all all, all fall and and winter so uh, yeah a lot of players who are just on the fringe of the squad but I guess the bigger question for you Frances is that do you think at this point with Alenia Tadebo Perez, Perez in particular, uh, and Wage, they weren't starters. They weren't, who cares, uh, about where they were on the on the depth chart. But do you worry that Barca now just have too few many players? Well, particularly up front, isn't it? I mean, with Suarez injured, and it hasn't happened sort of during the transfer season. We knew that, that he was going to be out for four months. And uh, Barca, the board basically had enough time to to find a number nine. Um, they scouted the market and they embarrassed themselves a couple of times, basically. I'm not quite sure why the Rodrigo transfer did not finalize, uh, but certainly I know myself and a lot of fans around the world are happy that we didn't waste 60 million euros on someone who was never going to be really a starter. Um, the, 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 the one that really puzzles me is Perez, you know, because obviously... If anyone catches a cold, Perez would have been the fourth striker, obviously, with Ansu Fati, as I'm sure we're going to talk about later on, uh, already taking a, a starting position, um, definitely in the absence of Dembele, which I'm sure we will talk about later on as well. Um, to me, that that's a little bit bizarre. But the thing is, if you put everything in the, if you put all of the people that sort of left Barca in the same basket, is is none of them really started. And Barca have made a significant amount of money that I'm sure they will reinvest in the summer to bring someone bigger in terms of uh, probably Neymar, uh, maybe Lautaro. Uh, I'm not sure if anybody else actually has a chance. I wouldn't say so at this moment in time. But um, basically, non-starters have left a lot of money for Barca to manoeuvre with. Um, I would say Alanya actually would be having playing time if he had stayed, especially now that Valverde is gone. Uh, but to be honest, Ricky Puig is getting some of those minutes, which is which is good news. And um, Alanya hasn't really left, left. He's gone on loan and he may return in the summer. As for the players coming in, as you said, the B players, I will mention once they are closer to the first team. But I'm not going to speak about anybody at this point. Um, Truncao, I think, is a good buy. Um, I think 31 million is a bit steep, to be honest. But um, I think that's what the market is these days. I agree. But that player, I think he he's already considered one of the top 10 uh, biggest winger prospects and particularly Portuguese prospects as well. And I just want to also add, just add the thing about because he's a Portuguese player, I, you know, it always is that funny thing going back to Luis Figo and then obviously the relationship the Barca fans have with Ronaldo. There is certainly 
something underlying. Well, Nessa Semedo had the same thing when he arrived. Portuguese players have the shortest leashes, I think, of any kind of nationality player that come to Barcelona. So I would say, again, he's a young player. Just be patient. Maybe check into a Braga game or two. I know Kules do not want to watch the Portuguese league. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just no. see, see what they have before you decide to turn on a young, again, the guy who just left his teenage years, Portuguese player, just because he's Portuguese. Exactly. And the thing is, he hasn't played for us a single minute. So just try and inform yourselves as to, as to what he does and what he's been doing, not just for Braga, but also for the under-17s and under-19s for Portugal. Um, he's had some cracking games there. And yeah, I think he's one for the future. Um, a bit more expensive than I would have liked. But I think the key with him is that he's not a number nine. So he is a winger, like Carlos Perez was a winger, but he seems to be possibly having something different that the coaches didn't see on Perez. Um, but the, the, the key here is that he's not a striker, he's not a number nine, he's, he can score, don't get me wrong, but he's not prolific. So the, what that means is that the board tried to make a lot of money from youngsters that weren't really that wanted, to be fair, and um, invested on a winger so they can go for a number nine in the summer. And as for now, we just continue to go with what we have, which is, to be honest, Griezmann, Messi, and Ansu Fati seems like a good attack to have if only Dembele was ever healthy, eh? Yeah, I, you know, I think the one piece of good business where I think there's a lot of reason to be critical of this board in this window, but you could clearly see within the first week and a half that there clearly is a lack of funds that are that, that are needed, they, the money that to avoid, and you heard more and more about this, that uh, to avoid financial fair play, that Barcelona did have to offload some money. And yes, none of these are huge moves to be sold on, but to get $11 million for Carlos Perez, I, I guess that's a good a good piece of business. And then the big one here, again, is $8.2 million for Alejandro Marquez, who winds up actually going for more than Alvaro Ruiz, which is real surprising, isn't it? That Alvaro Ruiz, for as highly touted as he always been, he just wound up not get, becoming the goal scorer that he was expected to be for two years at Barca B. So, Bar, so Barca wind up having to sell him I mean, I think it was still about an 8 million de- uh, euro deal. So not nothing, but still uh, to have Alejandro Marquez to Juventus go for as much as he did, I think is a good piece of business. But, you know, what is puzzling to me is this uh, Brazilian defensive midfielder, Mateus Fernandes. Again, he might be the, another coming of Paulinho, but he's a defensive midfielder. I mean, he might be a great player, but it is a puzzling piece of business. It just seems like one of those Barca wanted to overpay for a Brazilian. I'm not going to say Douglas, but I have to whisper it. But uh, it just seems like one of those where it's some kind of relationship with Palmeiras or some kind of Brazilian sponsor. And they're, they're de- those deals, to have him for $10 million, a player that in the Brazilian league, it seems like those who follow the Brazilian league are not excited about him. And those are the things and those are the opinions that uh, are most organic and most telling. So for those, for the people who know him best to not really be excited and think he's a top-end player, again, it does, and the fact that he's Brazilian, I always have to just you, you side-eye the deal a little bit. And again, to waste, not waste, but to basically take the money you got from Carlos Pérez and, compl- and just immediately put that back into this player who, you know, again, I, I don't know if you need. I think at the moment it looks like defensive midfield behind Sergio Busquets because De Young is not playing there. It seems like that position is... And then Rakitic, obviously, is going to be on his way out in the summertime. I say obviously, but we never know. But if that position is, is it doesn't have the depth that it used to, again, I would just... I, I watched Barca B enough times this year to know that Hondo Oriana, next season when he's 20, I would trust him in that position more than I would, again, just a random player that you have to spend 10 million euro on. So, I, I, yeah, I, I think that's a position of need. But I think to talk about a position of need, we have to finally, Enrique, credit to you. You keep asking the same question week in and week out. I always kept putting it farther down because it's such a... It's Good, a, it's Enrique. A, we love Enrique. I, I don't know, know the, way the question is, but perseverance gives you success. Correct. So let's go. Right. And so the, and it's, it's, it's a bigger question about the season. Can we really be in contention to win any trophies this season without a true number nine? Yeah, of course. Of I course. agree. Uh, we got Messi. We got Messi, and he's the best player in the world. We just need to make sure that um, everyone sort of contributes. Setien finds a system that he's happy with. I mean, he's experimented with the five-three-two or five-two-three, or you know, depending on different. Uh, oh, you can even call it three-five-two even um, in different uh, po- points of the season. But four-three-three um, three seems to be the one that he's used this week in both games. And that's clearly the one the players are the most suited for and obviously feel the most comfortable with. Um, Messi's um, and the whole team as a whole are sort of speeding things up, taking more risks up front. And, you know, <laughs> I want to say it's only the beginning, even though it's February already. 
but really solid the beginning of Setien's tenure. And I think we can only get better. And we've got more than enough quality players in our squad and obviously coming through the ranks to to support whenever needed to win La Liga. Obviously, we, we it's going to be a battle with Madrid because Madrid have improved as a team. Um, but we can definitely win that. We There's no reason to think we cannot win La Copa. Uh, the, the game against Bilbao is going to be tricky. But then again, this, this Copa is throwing around many surprises and we just need to take every game as a final because basically it is a final. And in the Champions League, if Messi is clicking on cylinders and we can get a little bit more solidity at the back and more importantly, we can play well in terms of more than physically being mentally prepared um, when other teams push us against the corner, then we can win it. Will I bet my house on winning a treble? No. But I think one of the titles could definitely come away. No, no question. Yeah, then on, uh, related to that, Pancho asked a pretty good one here. Now that we have a decent sample size under Kike Setien, and it's still only a few matches, which player has improved the most since the takeover? That's a very tricky question. Um, Semedo, the first one that springs to mind, to be honest. He hasn't played that many games. And I, to be honest, as you, as you said, I think the sample size is still very small because the first couple of matches he was trying a system the one out in Sibitha, you could just discard because that was a total failure right. <laughs> even though we won thanks to Griezmann and the last two seem to be from what I can see now it seems to be the way forward so I would still call the sample size more but I think Semedo but in particular because he was benched um, as the new coach came in then that must have spurred something on him and I think that he's looking much more steady looking much more confident um, and sort of taking people on. A couple of shots that he takes here and there. So I think he's, he's improved quite well. Other players, obviously Griezmann, I think, is doing well in the middle. Um, he needs to put his shooting boots on uh, more often, particularly in the last game. But I think that he is fighting, he's understanding instructions, and he's sort of doing his best out of the position that I'm sure we all agree is not his ideal one. But other than that, I think in general there's a there's an improvement, there's a there's a freshness to the team, there's a willingness to learn, even though that not everything's going to be easy. But I think overall everyone has improved. But Semedo is the first one that springs to mind. Yeah, and I think that's obviously you just watched the match, and I was thinking about that too. So Semedo has his arguably his best Barcelona match in his Barcelona tenure against Levante. So it is fresh in our minds, and I I thought he was excellent in that match. I think my pick for this one, though, is going to be a world-class player in Sergio Busquets. And it's interesting to me yeah. that I think other than that Leganes 5 nothing win, I actually thought when they moved back to the 4-3-3, and this is really telling about Kike Setien's tactics moving forward throughout the rest of this season, that he starts in, comes in 3-5-2, everything just looks different. And he's trying things and experimenting, and he said he's going to do that. He said he's going to take chances and try different formations. He's not married to a certain formation. And those are all good things. But as, you know, after the match against Valencia, 2 nothing, and against Ibiza, you're fighting through. It doesn't look like things are really getting set and quick enough and jiving well enough. So he goes back to the 4-3-3. And it's, it is odd to me that, I, again, it was a 5 nothing win for the team. And you can't say that Busquets played poorly. But I think Busquets actually had his worst game. Even the 2 nothing against Valencia, I think he had his worst game in the Kike Setien era against Leganes in that 5 nothing win when Barca really were playing a 4-3-3 as, is they, as they traditionally were under Ernesto Valverde in the fall, which was just an interesting thing to me. But then against Levante yesterday, I thought he was excellent back to it again. Uh, and if I, I think moving forward, Kike Setien has also been uh, adamant to say that Sergio Busquets is going to be a vital, essential, important part of this team. I mean, yes, you'd say that was a no-brainer, but... I was looking back, and even us in the beginning of the fall and a little bit at the end of last year, we're, we're asking questions. Should Busquets potentially be dropped? Do we already need to be looking to the future at that position? And all these different questions about Busquets and his longevity. And I think those questions are, at least for this season, and it looks even to potentially next season, have already been quieted under Kike Setien. And I think that just is, it's not that he as a player has improved because he wasn't, <laughs> at the age of 30, 31, he's not a player that's going to, you know, it's not like he's going to be changing his game and getting a lot better under Setien, but certainly his role in the team has improved and he's going to be one of the most vital parts of the team moving forward again. Yeah, which is which is brilliant news. I, I, to be honest, I also think that Busquets shouldn't be playing every game though because 
when you're getting to 31, 32, 33, um, your stamina is just not the same. So if anyone could pick up the slack in terms of the young maybe playing there, maybe Sergio Roberto playing there, or the most likely option, Rakitic picking up some of that playing time, that would not be a problem. And, and the thing is, I say the word problem because the thing is, Setien is trying to find his scheme, he's trying to find his players, he's trying to find his 11, but the risk here is burning players out. I mean, I don't want to call for what, bad weather and other things are picking up, but I would, to be honest, I wouldn't have liked our ideal 11 to play in the cup, in the Copa del Rey, in midweek, which happened. But, you know, let's just hope that what I'm saying makes no sense in a month's time. Yeah, so I think we're going to actually talk about the depth of the squad on the other side of this break. We're now going to take a quick break to tell you about our brand new sponsor, Bet Online. Missed your chance to bet on the Chiefs Niners? Fear not, listener. Blue Wire is excited to be partnering with Bet Online to help you win big no matter the time of year. With March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Opening Day right around the corner, Bet Online has you covered for all your latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Plus, it's never too early to lay down your future bet for Super Bowl 2021. Now, I know Shakira won't be performing at halftime again, but still, Super Bowl 2021. Head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to revive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. We signed up. It's super easy. And if you're already making wagers, it's a fantastic way to support this podcast. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, when you sign up at betonline.ag. Bring your best bets home with BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, back to the show. All right, back from this break, and you know we have to have that discussion about the depth of squad. I do want to answer a question from Douglas. Should we be concerned about Arthur and DeYoung? Is it the new system? And you were just mentioning before the break about Sergio Busquets and who's his backup. It is DeYoung on paper, and as I mentioned yesterday on the Patreon, DeYoung is not yet comfortable Barcelona, and that's totally fine. And it's not that I'm going to make excuses for him, but the way I, again, want to reset and almost... I almost want to reset how we think about Frankie de Jong at Barcelona and his career trajectory. It was only three seasons ago when he is at Willem, where, or the Willem II or Willem II, I'm not sure exactly how to say it, but uh, in, in, in the Eredivisie, which is not one of the major clubs, it's not Ajax, Feyenoord, or PSV, and he's breaking in as a, as a number six, can also play as a center midfielder, was occasionally being shown as a center back, then Ajax like him. They bring him over. He wasn't a teenage prodigy either. That's a big, important thing to note as well. He came on late in his teenage years, right? Then he makes the move to Ajax. And then in that first season at Ajax, which was just two years ago, he was playing as a center back and occasionally as a number six as a defensive midfielder. But largely he was playing as a ball-playing center back, right? And then when everybody gets healthy, delict, and they made a signing as well, it pushes him forward into that six role. So I do want to remind people, uh, with when he comes to Barcelona, he makes the, meal, uh, the move in January, and then all of a sudden, everybody has the eyes of the world on him. Obviously, he plays amazing for the Netherlands, fantastic against Real Madrid and Juventus in the Champions League, makes the semifinal, all those things, and his star power has grown. There's also a big caveat here. You've heard Xavi, Messi, Iniesta, Busquets. They've all said it over and over and over and over again, and you've seen it play out over and over again. Moving to Barcelona and getting accustomed to the quote-unquote Barcelona way is a tough thing to do for any player. Even if you seem like you were built in, well, the factory is actually the Masia, but even if it looks like you were DNA-wise bred and built to play for Barcelona, it still can be a time that you have to get accustomed to a different style and just a different way of training and maybe even a different way of living uh, and playing under the pressure and the bright lights of all the stars next to you. And those are just different things for a player who's still in his early 20s. So for DeYoung, he, the way we have to see him on the field, he's basically getting used to playing as a center midfield in front of a number six. He is playing a new position in Barcelona, a tough place to play and get accustomed to playing for any player. So I would say DeYoung, as much as everything looks the same and it seems like, okay, DeYoung, why are we not getting the best out of him? I think that's still coming and we actually have to be patient with him, believe it or not. And Artur... He just is coming back from injury. He hasn't looked right all year. And I think that is going to be an injury that persists for the rest of the season. But with the midfield combinations now, Rakitic, Vidal, Busquets, De Jong, Puj coming in there as well, we need 75% of Arthur. It'd be great if he was the best that we had of him. But I think 75% of Arthur, which is what we're going to get for the rest of the year, is just good enough. And then over the summertime, he can take his time to heal. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you've mentioned a lot of points. I'm not going to add too much on the young, just to say that he's the same age as Carlos Salaña, who just been loaned down to Betis, and the same age as Carlos Perez, who just left us on loan, well, on a potential sale as well. Uh, just, just leaving that there so people sort of reflect and understand that this is a very young player doing incredibly well just to be playing out of position at Barca, as you just mentioned. I don't want to repeat what you said. Um, as yes, for Arthur, basically, he's someone who has not really been well since he joined Barca, to be honest. He's picking up injuries here and there and everywhere. A little bit at Dembélé. Obviously, Artur has been much more consistent than Dembélé has, but then again, that's not really uh, a bright mirror to be looking at yourself in. Um, and I really do hope that he gets consistent playing time. But then again, this is Barca. It's not going to be given to him. He needs to earn it. And he needs to earn it during training. He needs to earn it once he gets the chance to jump on the pitch. And to be honest, there's a bit of attitude and a bit of bad luck and a little, a little bit of um, enjoying the love in Barcelona a little bit too much. So all sorts of um, dark clouds over him. He just needs to make sure he clears the skies uh, by working hard and being resilient. Yep, I agree with that. Uh, and now let's jump to the guy that I think we, we not that I've been putting off, but I, I think we need to talk about again, and we should. Again, there's not many first-team players to talk about, so it would be understandable that answering questions from Cole, he just says Ansu, and that's totally correct. Does the match against Levante bring back memories and the feeling of Ronaldinho bringing up Messi? And Guatham says, let's talk about the chemistry of Messi and Fati and Fati's maturity for the game despite his playing time and his age. And Frances... As I always say, there are things that can be true. A lot of different things can be true. Ansu Fadi is young. Let's not overhype him. Let's not push him. Let's not put pressure on him too much. But also, as I keep saying, now that he's become the youngest player in the league of history to score a brace, being two goals, and he was real close to a hat trick, all those records that he keeps breaking, these are, these are places in history where he may not... Uh, the, the, the limit is not burnout and nothing and should be discarded by the age of 20 or messy there's millions of players in between on that spectrum and Ansu Fadi, i promise falls somewhere in that spectrum <laughs> between burnout and needs to be sold and messy and mm-hmm. i have the, i have some of the numbers here to put about the history he's making but francis what do you see his role as throughout the rest of this season i see him being a youngster who can help the team whenever needed um obviously someone who has excelled throughout La Masia and the, you know, the whole of the youth system, and also someone who clearly is under Messi's wing. His agent is Messi's brother, and that shouldn't matter, but it does. Um, having experienced Barca from within, when my brother played there uh, for a couple of years, and obviously knowing how the agent world works, etc., and this was 20 years ago, being well-connected is very, very important. Beyond that, it also looks like Messi actually does trust him on the pitch uh, because it's about connections, it's about associations. We know Messi works like that. Um, let's not. We can talk about a million players being signed and loaned off and etc. But the most important piece of news in Barca over the next year, two years, it will be when Messi renews his contract and decides to stay for longer than I anticipate he will, which is which is two more seasons in my eyes. Um, Messi is the system. Messi is Barca. Messi decides when Barca attack. Messi decides when Barca can associate and control the ball. And it doesn't matter what Setien says in training and how many hours of video the players are watching. Messi, Messi will decide what Barca does on the pitch and any situation. And that's just the way it is. Um, but it's how it has to be. Then, in terms of Ansu, he's got the gift of being a goal scorer. And Messi knows that when he passes the ball to Ansu, the, the play improves. Uh, Messi knows that he makes things happen. And even though if it's, you know, like a cross that bounces off somebody and whatever, it's going to be a, a degree of unbalance, um, but also a degree, a degree of um, control in terms of he knows when to pass back, he knows when to open up, he knows when to not get involved. And basically, he is much more mature than the 17, 17 years of age in his Spanish ID actually actually indicate. And, and to be honest, Messi doesn't necessarily have that many associates within the team anymore. I think, um, without a doubt, Jordi Alba is number one. Obviously, Suarez is injured, so between Alba and Suarez, that would be number one and number two, whichever order you want to put it. Then Arturo Vidal has the confidence of Messi as well, but I understand he wasn't fully fit for the previous game against Levante. And certainly, Ansu Fati is someone who can 
step up and, and fill that void that basically no one else is picking up. Um, I think that the best news of the last week is that Ansu seems to have arrived and that Messi is looking for him in order to make his day better. As he, as the sort of um, connection and, and the memories for the Ronaldinho-Messi era and, and how they were bringing each other up, without a doubt, it seems to be a repeat. But obviously, let's not hype it too much. But, you know, if it, you need to call a spade a spade as well, to be honest. He's, he's a very good player that has us all very excited and deservedly so. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, an important point that with the limited number of first-team players left, as I mentioned, it is essential and he is needed to be an important player for Barcelona, and he will be. He's starting because Ousmane Dembele, who we're going to end the show by speaking about, isn't, isn't healthy at the moment, so he has to be starting. I mean, there really are, are no other options unless you want to change the formation or put a player out of position. To have him be that left winger, and I really like the fact that Kike Setien moved him back to the left wing where he's most comfortable. He didn't look as good on the right side, and his natural position is on that left wing, cutting in and occasionally being in the middle of the field and creating some havoc in there. And that is what we see the best of Ansu Fadi as. So as a teenager, it's a really good idea for Kike Setien to put him in the best spots to succeed, and I think he did that. The other point that was, I think, the brightest sign against Levante as well for me particularly between Messi and, and Ansu Fati. As you mentioned, their chemistry has improved. You can see that clearly uh, in that match. And the first assist that Messi delivered, okay, it was Messi. What a ball. I mean, how many guys in the world, maybe six or seven, can deliver that kind of ball with that weight perfectly on? Ansu Fati still had a lot of work to do, and he slotted it between, you know, Nutmeg, the goalkeeper, all that. It was a great composure to find his feet after he got bumped. So Fati, to be able to finish that, says a lot about his natural talent to be able to get onto it at the end of that kind of ball. But the ball that Messi played, what was such a bright side about it? That occurred because before that, prior to that time in the game, it was in the 30th, 31st minute, Messi wasn't really dropping deep to receive the ball. And this is, again, the important part I keep talking about tactically, that if you can keep Messi, if he does not have to drop 30 yards behind Griezmann or 20 yards behind Griezmann and Fati and come back into the midfield to receive the ball and then trying to run directly at 8 to 10 players, if he is able to stay up on that forward line and you get him the ball... It opens up so much space for Griezmann and Fati to run in behind. It is just incredible. And so in that match, and that is this is a credit. I know I'm going to give a compliment to even Rakitic, and I think he deserves one because he and De Jong and Busquets, as much as De Jong looked off Rakitic, again, he's not this amazing uh, attacking midfielder like he came in to be you know, all those years ago. And again, it seems like he's regressed as an attacking threat. But between Rakitic, De Jong, and Busquets, they were using the width between Semedo, that's why Semedo had such a good day, and Alba, who actually wasn't even that great against Levante, was still playing his role and taking up space on that left wing. And the fact that between the outside backs and that midfield trio, they were able to shuffle it between lines, they were using possession purposely, getting it from the defense to the midfield to the attack and working it up from line to line. So when Messi finally received it on that forward line, even if he was 10 to 20 yards behind Fatih and Griezmann, that meant that there was still, now once you've broken those lines, you're talking about two center backs and maybe the defensive midfielder have to make a decision. They have to decide how many of them, because it can't just be one, how many of them slide over and help with Messi. And that left so many of those passing lanes open. And you could see in the end, in the second half as well, Messi wanted to get Fatih the hat trick more than Messi wanted to score a goal. He almost had one, did Messi, and he probably should have. But you could see with that diagonal pass, and it's only about a 15, 20-yard pass, but you could see that he was consistently trying to feed Fatih. And Alba was recognizing that and allowing Fatih to be in that space. There were times when they made the same run, did Fatih and Jordi Alba, but I think that partnership will come with time. Uh, and again, I think if he continues that being Fatih to be a starter, and as I mentioned on the, the Patreon yesterday, all that's expected for me of Ansu Fatih, it's okay for me. Because again, he's expected to be the fifth top scorer, sixth top scorer on this team when Dembele comes back. And Suarez at 14 is going to be hard to catch for a lot of players in terms of goals. So to be the fifth or sixth top scorer on Barca, that's totally fine. He doesn't have to score for me for two or three more weeks. But in two or three weeks' time, the kid's going to bag another two goals and, and, and win a match with his goal scoring because Messi will pick up the assist or Griezmann will pick up the assist. And then you can wait two more weeks. Maybe he doesn't bag a goal, and that's okay. As I said, all we're expecting from Fati, who's already scored five across all competitions, if he ends the year with nine or ten, Barca, because of Griezmann and Messi, and potentially Dembele, they still have an opportunity to contend across all competitions. They just need to get 
just enough goals and squeeze just enough goals out of everybody with the exception of Messi and Griezmann to get them over the line. And Fati has already been doing that. And the last point I want to end this with, this little Ansu Fati uh, rant and praise, is that, again, those records that he's setting are unprecedented. He is a fantastic talent. We are not overhyping him. But again, the records do stand for themselves as to how special he is at this age. Setting that brace, breaking the record of Juanmi uh, Jimenez from Malaga in 2010, who was 20 days, 20 days older than, than Fadi is at this point, sure. But there is Frances Calvert going all the way back to 1940 was the, the youngest guy for Barcelona before that point. He was 17 as well. And then Boyan Kirkic, obviously, in 2008, was also 17. But to, to just prove to you just how good Ansu has been, those records do matter, and they do mean something. And obviously, his body is, is, is advanced as well. And I continue to see him get better and better. And the best thing for him is to be on that left side and just continue this trajectory with no pressure. Just play your football, and it seems like that's what he's doing. And if you get anything out of this whole podcast, is that Ansu Fadi is, he is the real deal. Yep, agreed. I've got nothing to add. I think we've answered each other out now. <laughs> I agree. So let's end the show with, with two quick points here. Uh, Eric and, and, and Stefan both ask about the defense. Now, Eric is worried about the defense. He feels like he was bailed out by some great goaltending by Ter Stegen and some poor finishing. Can the defense be improved by tactical changes, or is it going to only improve with different players in the future? I really like that question. And Stefan asks a very similar thing, where is there any way you could think our current coach can, with that low-lying block, we seem to be encountering against all other teams. Is it going to be much more difficult to keep that against better sides than Levante? Tricky questions. Um, in terms of personnel, I think at this moment in time, Lenglet is a much better choice than Umtiti. Um, Umtiti has not really been well for the last, I want to say, two years, to be honest. Um, his mentality doesn't seem to be what it was, you know, and obviously he's had injuries. So, you know, I, I had injuries when I had my playing career as well, even though that I was never near, nowhere near as good as, as these players that we're talking about today. But it did affect me mentally in terms of I couldn't push the way that I wanted. I couldn't do the movements that I really wanted. And even though probably I actually could do them, um, they, I wasn't doing them in the first, in the same way just because they didn't want to get injured and, and, you know, have to go through all of that. So I, I do understand that. But, you know, in professional football, it's a little bit cutthroat. At this moment in time, Lengle is a better choice. In, um, obviously, you would have thought that building from the back would be worse with Lengle in the team. But it, uh, to be honest, I haven't seen that much of a difference. Um, it is clear that Setien's system is all about building from the back and taking more risks. Because if you take more risks in the, fine, in the sort of first third, in the defensive third of the pitch, and you can attract the, the opposite team sort of press further up, then the moment you break those defensive lines, if you are quick enough to get forward, which is why Frankie has been conducting a lot of the ball, um, I have seen Busquets doesn't do it by running himself, obviously, that's it through passing near and, and far. I think that, that, that does have a, a huge effect. Um, the, the stat that I want to share here, that was shared by Catalunya Radio last night, uh, 22 games played in La Liga, only six clean sheets. And if you expand it to all of the games that Barca have played this season, there's 31 games in all competitions and only nine clean sheets, which clearly is not on Setien because obviously he just landed um, two, three weeks ago. But it is something to consider. And to be honest, Ter Stegen has been one of our best players throughout the whole year. And those stats basically are terrible. And a, a team that wants to win as we said before, wants to have a chance of winning every competition, basically needs to, needs to be better than that. Um, when Barca have more control, e.g. during the CTN time so far, then it's, more, it's less likely for other teams to, to, to come at us and, and attack and break our lines. But there is something that we need to keep working on. But I think that attack is the best form of defence. And when you've got control, which is not just for the sake of it, but actually you're, you're, you're pushing forward, then you are going to make mistakes and this is going to happen. I mean, during the Guardiola years and, and before and after, we've been quite vulnerable at the back, uh, but not, not at the degree that we're looking at today. So, so it does have to improve. Um, in terms of signing a new centre-back, signing whoever, that's not for us to talk about now because the transfer window is closed and the players we have should be more than enough and, and professional enough and experienced enough and, and have quality enough for us to be successful and much better than what we are. So it's, it's, let's get to work and let's improve it. 
Yeah, I think that's the only part and the only spot that, uh, again, the two loans or the, or the two pieces of business in the transfer window that I think do make me most fearful is, again, for Carlos Perez, uh, I actually think that Alex Callado has been more consistent for Barcelona B and is going to fill that role or can fill that role just as very same on that right wing. Uh, so for me, the, again, the John Claude Debo was the one that kept getting me frustrated because with Gerard Piquet, having a birthday, age 33, so happy birthday, to Feliz Combianos, to Gerard Piquet, also getting a yellow card, though, on his birthday, which means he's going to miss the weekend La Liga match against Real Betis. So that leaves two center backs. That's the situation they're in now. Again, it wasn't the fact that they got they got they potentially got rid of Tadebo and they're going to cost 25 million euros to bring him back to the club. He simply was a body, a center back body that was available and looked good enough against Inter Milan and looked good enough uh, to be a right-footed center back. So now that PK, who's now with 10 yellow cards or 9 yellow cards, whatever it is, uh, in the Liga, those suspensions are coming and missing Real Batiste. That means that it's got to be Lang Lane and TT. And they're both two left-footed center backs. I know some mat- so some coaches don't care or managers don't care about that and, and others do. But yeah, it, I think there's just a le- that's a one place that I circle as a lack of depth. And I know there are a ton of center backs with Barcelona B, uh, but Ronald Araujo is now captaining the B team with with Puj and Callado. Pena usually coming up to, to the first team now with Neto out as well for, for Pena. Uh, it, it seems to be that Araujo is so important to Barcelona B, and we do kind of question, as the B team is now second in the Segunda Division Bay in, in their region, they're fighting for promotion. You can bring Araujo, that's what the B team is for. You bring Araujo up, sure, but the question is going to be, we're in the second half of the season. When we're now behind Real Madrid in the Liga, are you going to put the keys to the car in the hands of a Barcelona B center back, right? If he's injured, I, and I know you want to put trust in it, but especially center back, which, or, and the defense, which is, as we keep speaking about, is our weakest position at the moment. Yeah, that was just the, the piece of business that frustrated me, where you had this, the backup, and it seems like they needed they needed that 25 million euros, uh, most likely for Tadebo if Schalke decide to buy him in the summer, that they just had to do that business in, instead of making sure their defense had, had enough active bodies and enough enough players. So yeah, on the weekend, I'm interested to see what happens and what happens if Umtiti or Langley gets hurt and who's going to come, Who's what B player? Is it Chumi because he's not really playing with B, the B team as much as Araujo or is it is it Araujo because he seems to be the top center back for the B team? So I'm interested to see who makes it. Well, it will have to be in my eyes, it will have to be Araujo, and, and to be honest, I'm probably going to get shot for this, but I don't really care. I think Serin Todibo, someone who has really hardly played at the first team level for 25 million euros, I think that's the good business. I think the close to bring him back for 50, I think that's nonsensical. But 25 million euros for someone who will hardly feature, I think it's fine. And, and then using La Masia when you are absolutely desperate, I think that's a good choice as well. I mean, Piquet, He's going to miss the next game because of uh, suspension. But, you know, the guy plays pretty much every game. And, and I know that people think that he was better before and etc. And he's married to Shakira, so we're envious and all sorts of nonsense. Um, I think Piquet is, is still a world-class centre-back that could be faster, could be more focused at times. But I think he's someone who's going to play pretty much every game. And then you've got Umtiti and Legle, who are both great. So I don't really see the problem there. Sorry. Well, I just think it's bad. I think it's bad planning. I think you're right about the nature of the deal. I think 25 million euros for that type of player is is a good piece of business. But again, I think you said if they're desperate, they bring up a B team player, and that's my whole point. Is that why would you put yourself, that being Barca, in a point of desperation where you're only two healthy center backs in the first like first team center backs are two left footed center backs, one of which Numtiti is always injured. So I don't. I I just feel like they put themselves back themselves into a corner. PK is going to start every match, sure, but. Not only can he not start every match, but he also can get suspended. If he's suspended for the semifinal of a Champions League match and MTT is out injured, what happens? That, that's my point, is that the, for the Debo deal is good business, but it just seems to come at the, an inopportune time. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, so that, yeah, so that's my question, is if they're in a yeah. semifinal and PK's, you know, and PK's suspended, then, yeah, I don't see, and, and MTT is out injured, then, I mean, good luck to Lang Lei, uh partnering. Yeah, or- or you put Busquets in the middle and then you put Rakitic as a centre back. Uh, right. Sorry, as a defensive midfielder. But and you want to do right, and that's the point. And you want to do that in a in a Champions League semi final. I mean, that would be that be catastrophe in terms of just yeah. having to shift your personnel but, around. I know, but, but it's all about risk taking, and you know, twenty five million in, in when you know you're gonna be stung for a hundred or hundred and fifty million in the summer for either Lautaro or Neymar or whoever you face. 
some if, if a club has no fans you need to get the money out of somewhere so yeah i know i know my opinion is not popular but i don't think it's that bad business Oh, yours might be more popular. We don't know. We have to, <laughs> listeners, let us know. Uh, you know, Francis and I usually don't get into it because we usually agree on things like uh, the power couple of yesterday was certainly Gerard Piquet having a birthday and Shakira uh, performing at the Super Bowl <laughs> halftime as well. And I mean, have, what a day for her. Who had the better day? Um, I haven't seen Shakira, unfortunately. Um, I have to watch it after. Piquet, no, nah, he was all right. Yeah. Well, they have, you know, they have the same birthday. I know we're in the weeds here. Do you know that? that yeah, they, they did. They both have the same. It was a happy yeah, yeah. birthday to both of them. I know, I know, but we need to stop talking about Shakira because um, I don't want to turn into, you know, this Perez Hilton or whatever his name is. <laughs> yeah, well, this actually—it's funny. This is a perfect segue here because we want to talk about gossip. We're not talking about Shakira or PK. We all know the story. It's, it's there's no gossip there. It's just they did a great job yesterday. But Papa actually asked. So in in the course of social media, there seems to be, as we've said, there seems to be a campaign against Ismani Dembélé. But every bit of news about him winds up spiraling into demonizing his character and demonizing him as a player and obviously saying that he's a bust and all these things. So today, Dembele injured during training is a little much. It's that there was a setback and they're being very cautious with it and, again, being very precautionary with the thigh. So it seems like he was supposed to come back this week in the next seven days, but instead you're going to push that one more week. So it's basically just pushing it back one more week. We don't know. But Papa's question, should Setien have been smarter than to just expect Dembele to return to the team considering the injury issues he has faced and pushed ahead to sign another striker a little bit harder? Uh, that's a two-part question. Let me handle the easy second part of that. With Setien coming in mm-hmm. as quickly as he did for Valverde, that was not planned. Sacking Valverde and bringing in Setien in the time and the moment that he was brought in certainly was not in the cards. And so I don't know what Setien... And Graham Hunter did have a good piece about this as well on in ESPN, uh, basically speaking about the fact that how many managers over the last few seasons have honestly had a hand or had an ability to dictate what happens in the transfer window? I don't think there's many. Exactly. I think the board gives the managers that Barca has, they are merely managing the team. And the, the, the players that the board gives him are the ones that he has to work with. So I don't think Setien had any say in that. Um, and so all Setien can say, sitting in that seat with 14 healthy first-team players, he can merely say, I've been seeing this Dembele guy. He's going to be great. I'm so excited to work with him. That's the things that a manager should be saying and trying to give confidence to him because if he ever does get back on the field, again, the point is we can criticize him as a player for not being on the field. Durability and availability is so, so important, and it's why you get paid the money you do just to be on the field. So the fact that he can't stay on the field, it stinks, and it makes people say negative things. And But I think even, but as a player, if he's ever able to get right, he's good enough to be on the field, and he's good enough to be a starter at Barca, and all those different things. And if Setien is excited to work with him, I'm excited to have him back on the field. But yes, it's a worrying sign that he's not there. But I think Setien should believe that he's going to be on the field and that he can do the right things with him. I, I, I felt Setien 0% in this situation. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I think that we need to remember that decisions are not just taken by the manager. I, I agree that um, the board and obviously Abidal mainly uh, had the, the final say here. I think Setien was actually listened to, though, because you don't bring in a manager at this point in the season and then ignore what he's saying. Um, so you, you have to sort of take into account what the opinion of the manager is. But ultimately, it's a joint decision. The ones that know the squad are basically Abidal and his close associates at board level. And they're the ones that, that's what you've got in sporting director to build the, to build the, the, the staff, to build the um, plantilla, to build the roster in the, of the first team. And I think that's, that's what it is. Um, and in terms of Dembele, obviously, you know, you see another setback, you, need, you see another injury. And you just basically want to burn the house and just sell the guy. But, you know, to be honest, when I was getting better from my injuries as well, I had several set- setbacks. And it's all about mental, but also if there's a physical element to it. And if he's only gone back a week, then we just have to be patient. Because as you mentioned, he's going to be a, a fantastic player. He can win you a game. He can come in in 10 minutes and, and just unbalance the game, do something weird, lose three or four balls in the corner. Um, you know, passing the ball to the opposition <laughs> four times out of five, but then the one he does right, that's that's a win for your team. So I think that sort of player you need in your squad. But you know, about high time he gets fully fit now. 
Yeah, I think it's a good place to, spot, to stop because Barca have a ton of matches on the horizon here. Athletic Club uh, this week in the Copa del Rey, and then Real Betis on the weekend. And don't look too far over the horizon because coming up in March is El Clasico at the start of the month. So they have a ton of matches in a small amount of time, and all of them seem per- uh, really important. And there aren't many players, as we mentioned, for Barca. So as I told people in, in the YouTube video midweek, cross our fingers, hope for no more injuries, because, again, one injury at this at this point in the season could derail the rest of the year. So I know those players who were sold and all those different things. Again, I'll, I'll bookend this show talking about the transfer window, that those players didn't really matter, but to, to Barca's... Whether or not they win trophies, sure, but they certainly, the board and Barcelona is playing with fire by getting rid of all their depth. And I, you know, again, so much of it was good business and great that they're able to recoup some money, especially if they avoid financial fair play, which could help out again to allow bigger transfers in the summertime. So yeah, it, it, I don't want to make it all about next year already, uh, but they have some really important matches coming up and they, I really just hope that everybody can stay healthy. That's going to be the most important thing. So, Frances, I wish the same to you. I wish good health and happiness as you have to watch Barcelona at these times. And uh, as we keep saying during the Kike Setien era, it certainly is more enjoyable than it was under Valverde. Uh, just, the, just the football. Simply watching a 90-minute match is so much more enjoyable. And that's winning matters, but it seems like everyone's happier knowing at second place in the Liga. Valverde, we were first the entire time, but now that we're second... There's a feeling that that Barca can jump back up to first because of the football they're playing and the hope that Real Madrid wind up slipping up. So I, I think it just shows you where the fan base is at the moment that second place has much more comma than first place did. Yeah, and the thing is we're playing the right way now. Um, at least we've got someone on the wheel that knows where to go. Um, he's trying to figure out how to get there, but the, the essence, the, the Cruyffist sort of idea is there. And Messi is fired up. And that's always going to be good news. And all he needs to do, the manager in this case, is to, to, to put all the pieces together, work out his way forward and make sure that Messi has a predominant role as he obviously is going to have. But he's comfortable enough and supported enough by the others to chip in you know, several goals here and there, like Ansu has been doing, like Griezmann has been doing, in order to, to achieve our objectives. So I'm far more optimistic now than I was last month, that is for sure. And we also want to let you know, the listeners, though, you could chip, chip in and help us out by subscribing to the show. Uh, you can check out the show notes. You can find us everywhere, social media, on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, or at HiltonD13 for me, on Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. Again, you can chip in by leaving a review and give us a good rating on Apple iTunes. Again, really, really helps out that anybody looking for Barcelona stuff, it takes us to the top. Our closed Facebook group where we got these questions from, tbpod.link backslash group, deeper dives and discussions as well. There is stuff constantly hourly all these things we talk about on the show there's a discussion going on in the closed facebook group got to answer the questions though or we can't let you in if you listen to the show questions are going to be easy you can also help us out on patreon to continue making these shows at tvpod.link backslash patreon that's also where i do the quick take match reviews which is much more about tactics we're also on youtube at the barcelona podcast where every week i have a specific video about a bigger topic and I usually leave some kind of list or something like that. And that is every week at the Barcelona uh, Podcast on YouTube. So hit that subscription button. It's a big help as well. Share that everywhere you can. And again, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And Forza Barca. Forza. Forza.